Welcome. You're listening to the Beaver Dam Baptist Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. If you would like more information about Beaver Dam Baptist Church or have questions about today's message, please visit us on the internet at www.bdbc.org. It is good to be back. I'll echo what others have already said this morning. It's good to be back with you, uh, starting the new year off with uh, worshiping together. And I trust you had a great Christmas and are looking forward to a wonderful new year. Passion is a word that can be used in several different ways. We often think of it in sort of negative terms, but it can be used both positively and negatively. Negatively, of course, our passions can get out of control. And so here we often think of romantic relationships, our passion for someone else driving us over the edge and leading us, in a sense, to commit some sort of sin. But certainly that's not going to be my topic the first Sunday of a new year. So in a more general sense, the term passion means not just an intense emotion, though that is part of it, but it means a a zeal, an eagerness, a great desire for whatever it is that one is passionate about. And of course, we have passion for many things in life. Sometimes we even say we have passion for life itself. Certainly, as you well know, there are fan bases, not naming any names, but there are fan bases that are passionate about their sports teams. And sometimes that passion goes overboard, causing people to think or do things that they later regret. Certainly, we have passion for politics at times. Other people have passion for some sort of cause, something that is dear to their heart. And as a result, they give a lot of time and their resources to to whatever this cause is. So I want to start this morning by asking you a very simple question. And that is, as we begin a new year, what is it that you are passionate about? What is it that really gets you excited? What is it that motivates you to live life? What is it that when you get to talk about it, when someone brings it up, your face lights up, your voice rises because there is just this excitement about talking about whatever it is. And while I'll be quick to acknowledge that there are many answers to that question, I want to share with you four passions this morning that every believer ought to share four areas of our Christian life in which we ought to be passionate. They are not the only four, of course. There are others. But ultimately, for our spiritual lives, we ought to see passion in these four areas. Now, to do this today, I'm going to be using several different passages of Scripture. That is not the normal way I do things. If this happens to be your first Sunday, I normally do not preach topical messages. I normally take a passage of Scripture and work our way through that, and that is what I will continue to do. But this morning, I'm doing something a little bit different, and so we're going to be using several passages of Scripture, none of which are going to be on the screen, just because I didn't get it ready in time, to be honest with you. (laughs) But... For the sake of not not admitting that, I'll say we're doing it to be old school this morning. So I need you to open your hard copy of God's Word or your digital copy of God's Word. 
And again, we'll be looking, I, I haven't told you where yet. I do appreciate the enthusiasm, but I haven't told you where yet. We'll get to that. And we are going to talk about passionate commitment this morning. That's my title, passionate commitment. And it is my desire in this year for myself and for you to have a passionate commitment to the four areas that we are going to discuss. Now, I want to start by simply quoting a verse. I'm not asking you to turn to this one. It's just one verse. And so I'm going to quote it rather than ask you to turn there. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. This is one of several comments or verses in the New Testament particularly that deal with this same subject, that we are to persevere, that we are to keep going, keep doing good and not give up. And the fact that these verses are in the Bible tells me that there is a real possibility that we might grow tired and we might quit. And frankly, I've seen it happen too many times during my ministry. Now, I realize that that's a strange statement to make on the first Sunday of a new year when even the most pessimistic person among us is somewhat optimistic. I mean, the first Sunday or the first week of the year, we all have hope. We all have optimism that this is finally going to be the year that we want it to be. But deep down, we know that the turning of the calendar from one year to another does not really change us in the long term. And so we need to be reminded to have passion rather than the opposite. And the opposite of passion is apathy. Apathy is defined as the lack of emotion, the lack of motivation, the lack of enthusiasm. It's a psychological term that really defines or is used to define the state of indifference. And we can be apathetic toward many different things. We can be apathetic toward a person. That is, we just get tired of someone. Someone that has rubbed us the wrong way or someone whom we simply do not like. And we can become apathetic toward an individual. We can be apathetic toward a job. A job that you once enjoyed and now have grown tired of and you are just going through the motions. We can be apathetic about an event something that we don't want to attend, but for whatever reason, we have to be there. And so we go, but we're not really there. And certainly mentally, we're not involved in what's taking place. And we can, of course, be apathetic toward the church, toward a particular church or toward spiritual things in general. And that is our focus this morning. Moving from, if we're there, apathy towards spiritual things so that we can instead have a passionate commitment or if we already are in that state of passionate commitment that we can continue throughout this year being passionate about the things that we are going to look at this morning. Now the reason apathy is so dangerous is because you can continue to go through the motions. On the outside you can look like you're not apathetic at all, and most people don't even recognize it. You can fool the majority of the people. Again, we're talking about the spiritual life. So let's, let's think for a moment about the reality that you might be apathetic toward your spiritual life. But you can still come to church, 
and maybe out of commitment or tradition, you do, you can still serve in the church. And again, out of, out of a commitment, you still serve because someone has asked you and you agreed to do it. But you're doing all of these things with no joy or no desire or no enthusiasm. And to be honest, we all have times in our lives where this is the case. I realize we move sometimes from apathy to passion and back and forth throughout our given lives. We want to talk this morning about how we can try to stay there, not in apathy, but in passionate commitment. Now, the signs of apathy are pretty obvious, though, again, we try to rationalize them. We no longer read the Bible like we used to. We have now been for many years encouraging you to read through the Bible with us using different plans throughout the year, and we have started again this year, and we're just doing a very simple one this year where we start in Genesis and we work our way all the way through Revelation. And so we want to invite you to join us in that again this year. If you didn't know we were doing that, you're only one day behind. It's easy enough to catch up. So join with us in that. But a lack of Bible reading is a sign that we are apathetic towards spiritual things. A decrease in our prayer life is a sign of apathy. And a spoiler alert here, that's going to be one of our passions, that every Christian ought to have a passion for prayer. And then the third sign of apathy is a decrease in church attendance. And this is the only one that's visible to other people. You see, no one else knows whether you've grown cold in reading the Bible. No one else knows whether you've grown stale in your prayer life. But this is the one we can see where your church attendance begins to, to drop off just a little bit. You're, you no longer serve like you used to. You no longer attend faithfully like you used to. And that's a sign of spiritual struggles. And that's why it is so essential that we see that in one another. I've seen this in more times than I care to admit through the years where someone's church attendance will begin to, to falter and it grows worse and worse. Their faithfulness no longer what it used to be until they disappear altogether. And then six months or a year later, someone will come up to me and they'll say, hey, what about old so-and-so? I haven't seen them in a while. And I said, yeah, they haven't been here in a while. But we haven't noticed because we notice late, by the time we actually reach out to them, they're so apathetic that they may have already fallen into some other sin, or it's certainly much harder to get them to be encouraged to come back. That's why it is so essential that you are involved in a Sunday school class or a life group or both. Because it is in that environment where someone sees the first signs of you slipping away. It is in that setting where someone notices that you're not there as much as you used to be and can reach out to you. And this works both ways, of course. You ought to be doing that for others even as they do it for you. And the reason apathy is so dangerous is because it elicits no response. You see, if you're angry, at least that anger might motivate you to action. Even if you have hatred. It may startle you into saying, I shouldn't be thinking this way and I need to change. But apathy is so subtle that we just go along in our indifference and don't even really notice it. And so our goal then this morning is to talk about moving beyond apathy and getting as far away from it as possible. And so the furthest point away from apathy is passionate commitment. 
passionate commitment to the four areas we are going to look at this morning. And the first, I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. Now, if you're not willing to turn there with me, that's a sign of apathy, okay? (laughs) So you're just admitting to those around you that you are already apathetic. So that should motivate you to get whatever copy of God's Word you have out and be finding Philippians chapter 3, and I'll start with verse 12. Paul writes, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Now that one verse in there is a great New Year's verse. Verse 13, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal. Okay, so what's the goal? Well, we got to go back to verses 10 and 11. In verses 10 and 11, Paul says that I may know him, that is Christ, and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible I might attain the resurrection of the dead. So what is our passion here? Passion number one is a passion for progress. That is, we want to make progress in our spiritual lives. We want to do those things this year that are going to be necessary for us to make spiritual progress in our relationship with God. And Paul says the goal is threefold, to know Christ... And the power of his resurrection, the third one we tend to forget or overlook, he says, I'm also willing to suffer with Christ. I'm willing to do whatever is necessary in order to attain the goal of the resurrection with Christ. And so I ask you this morning, do you have a passion for knowing Christ? Do you have a passion for spiritual growth? And again, the evidence is obvious. It is the opposite of what I just said a moment ago. If apathy can be seen by our lack of Bible reading, our lack of prayer, and our lack of involvement in the local church, then passion for spiritual progress can also be seen in those three things. That we have a hunger for the Word of God. That we have a hunger for the people of God. That we have a hunger for the service of God. And certainly that we have a hunger for prayer that we'll talk about in a moment. So what are you going to do in 2022 to make sure that you are going to grow spiritually? It is not going to happen by accident. We must plan for progress. In every other area of our life, we plan. That is, we go to school in order to prepare ourselves for our career. Or we apprentice ourselves to someone who knows what they're doing in the area that we want to live our lives in as a career, and we have them teach us. So there is a plan for a career path. We certainly have a plan when it comes to making sure that our children can be involved in whatever sport or activity that they want to be involved in. And we give a lot amount of time and a lot of resources to ensure that they can grow in that area. 
So why should we imagine then that spiritual progress, growing in our relationship with Christ, is not going to take the same kind of planning and effort? Lifeway just released this past week a study. It was a study, as you might well imagine, on New Year's resolutions. The three most common resolutions that they found in this study are not going to surprise you. Number one was health-based, probably dieting or changing the way we eat. 44% of the people said that they made some sort of health-based resolution. But numbers two and three were identical. They both came in at 29%. 29% of the people said that they either make a resolution about their finances or a resolution about their relationship with God. I did find it interesting that among younger people, that is people under 50, higher percentages of people under 50 made spiritual resolutions than those who were over 50. But as we know, making, uh, making countless resolutions is not going to make any impact upon our lives long term unless we have a plan in place and then we execute that plan. Otherwise, resolutions are nice ideas that are easily and quickly forgotten. And we know that from the countless resolutions that we've made in the past or the goals that we've set throughout the year, that if we don't plan, they are going to fall by the wayside. And so I ask again, do you have a passion for knowing Christ and do you have a plan in place so that you can make progress this year in that particular plan, achieving it? Now, you understand that this is not going to happen overnight. This is not a, a week-long thing that I'm going to make progress in my relationship with Christ this week and then it's going to be over with. This is a long-term goal that we were never going to ultimately achieve because none of us are ever going to reach perfection. But we ought to be able to see progress through the years so that next year when we come to this very same Sunday, we ought to be able to look back over our 2022 and see that we've made progress in our relationship with Christ. So passion number one, do you have a passion for progress in your relationship with Christ? Passion number two, and again, this one is just one verse, and so I'm not going to ask you to turn there. Passion number two is a passion for purity. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And I was, as I was roaming around during Sunday school this morning, I, I saw a poster of this very verse on the children's floor, on the second floor of our education building. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Do you have a passion for purity? Now, when we hear the word purity, we often think of our ancestors who were known as the Puritans. And they were known as the Puritans because they took sin seriously and the mortification, an old word that they liked, the mortification of sin, that is putting to death sin in our lives while at the same time pursuing righteousness. And while that is true of many of the Puritans, and they were noble examples, that is not the way I'm using the word this morning. Neither am I talking about a lack of sexual sins, which is often what the word purity is reduced to. It does include that, but rightly understood, purity is a much broader word than just the absence of sexual sins. Purity is a word that means cleanness or the absence of immorality of any kind. 
It does mean, like the Puritans, that we take sin seriously and strive to forsake it while at the same time pursuing righteousness in all areas of our life. So it is a passion for purity in life, in thought, in actions, and this does not come alone. That's why I began with a passion for progress in our relationship with Christ, because you're never going to have a passion for purity unless you are growing in your relationship with Christ. But as we grow in that relationship, so will our desire for purity. Purity might be considered the opposite of sinfulness. And you know this well. If your life is consumed by sin, there's no wonder that you slip into apathy. Because sin deadens the soul. Sin and apathy go together. Progress and purity likewise go together. So that the more we are progressing in our relationship with Christ, the more we will see purity of heart, mind, and actions. So as we begin a new year, perhaps there is a continual sin in your life that you have simply not conquered. You've wanted to. You've had good intentions. Every year you've said, I've just got to get beyond this and make some changes, but it just hasn't happened. And as a result, you are filled with shame. You are guilt-ridden. Because this sin just creeps up over and over again. You repent. You desire to change. But it just doesn't happen. A week down the road, you're in the same place all over again. So if that's the case for you, there are clearly some changes that are necessary. Changes that might include the people you hang around with or the places that you go with them. Perhaps it's a change in thought, reprogramming your mind in some way so that your focus is on God rather than on the sin. But ultimately, it is not the sin itself that we must focus on. You know this if you've ever tried to diet. You decide, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not eat these things. I'm not going to eat fried foods, or I'm not going to eat dessert, or I'm not going to eat bread, or something like that. Now, if you focus on that, you're likely not going to achieve that. If your constant thought is, I cannot have sweets, I cannot have sweets, guess what you're probably going to eat? Because that's all you're thinking about. So what you've got to do is you've got to reprogram your mind. You've got to be thinking about something that's going to replace what you want to give up. And then the more you replace it, the more you begin to like it, such that eventually you're going to like what you're replacing the sweets with just as well, if not more, than the sweets. Now, there's a limit to this. I'm never going to like broccoli more than I like sweets. I mean, that's just doesn't matter how much reprogramming I do. That's not going to work. But what I'm saying is we've got to think about other things rather than just those things that I must avoid. And that is also true in our spiritual lives. We need to focus on making progress in our relationship with Christ, and purity in life, thought, and actions will follow that. And then it becomes our desire, that growing desire to be pure in our lives, accompanied by the Spirit's work, will drive us to an even greater passion for purity. So we need a passion for progress. We need a passion for purity. Thirdly, we need a passion for people. Look with me at Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. A passion for people. Paul writes, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have a great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed 
and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul's talking about his fellow Jews, his fellow Jews that had not come to faith in Christ, that they had not seen Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies of the coming Messiah. And Paul says, if it were possible, I myself would, would be accursed from God if it meant that my fellow Israelites would come to faith in the Messiah. You see, when I talk about a passion for people, I am not talking about your need to develop more friendships. I'm not talking about the need for you to have more people in your life to make you more well-rounded. I'm talking about having a passion for the lives of people, particularly when it comes to their spiritual lives. And when we lose our passion for others, we eventually lose our passion for Christ. Moses said something very similar in Exodus chapter 32. We're not going to turn there either. It was after he was up on the mountain with God receiving the Ten Commandments. He comes down, and while he's been gone, they have erected the, the calf, and they've been worshiping it. And God is angry with the people for their sin. And Moses is pleading with God that God would forgive the people. And at the end of that prayer, Moses says to God, but if you will not forgive them, then blot my name out of the book. Moses is saying the very same thing that Paul is saying here. They so identify and have such a passion for the people they lead that they are willing to be separated from God, if that's what it would take, for the people to come to faith in Christ. And these kinds of things amaze us. When we hear Paul say these words, when we hear Moses say these words, it amazes us because we are so personally focused often content as long as we have a relationship with Christ and those who are closest to us do as well. For many of us, that's as far as our circle goes. As long as my family knows Jesus and I do, then, then we're satisfied. Yet Paul and Moses go much beyond this, willing to suffer eternal separation from God for the sake of those they loved and wanted to see come to Christ. I closed the year out by using a Seinfeld illustration, so I'll start the year with another one. I probably, I'll make sure I don't use any more the rest of the year, in case some of you don't watch that show. Elaine is the main female character of the show. And of course, like a lot of situational comedies, a lot of the comedy is around relationships, around who, who these folks are dating. And so Elaine has a new boyfriend. And she finds out that this boyfriend is religious. She finds out by accident because she's in his car and all the stations are pre-programmed to religious stations. And so at first she thinks, well, this might be an accident. So she reprograms all of the radio stations in his car to see if it was an accident. And the next time she gets in the car, they're all programmed again to religious stations. So she now knows that this is not an accident. And so she asks her boyfriend, do you believe in God? Yes, the boyfriend replies. Elaine then says, is it a problem that I'm not religious? Not for me, her boyfriend answers. And she says, well, how's that? And the boyfriend says, well, it's because I'm not the one going to hell. <laughs> I mean, that's a lighthearted look. And what Elaine understood in that situational comedy was, if he really believes this, why isn't he concerned about me? If he really believes this, why isn't he telling me about it? And that's what I'm saying to us this morning. If we really believe this, why do we not have a passion to tell people about it? 
And that's what we see here uh, in Paul. He is willing to go through a painful process. He is willing to suffer. He is willing to go through a costly process. He is willing to do whatever is necessary because he has a passion for the people of Israel. Now, I do realize that when we talk about having a passion for people, we often talk about their physical needs. We see the things that they need in life, and we strive to meet them. And this church does a phenomenal job with that. You do a wonderful job meeting the physical needs of people, especially around the holidays. We have all kinds of ministries that you help lead, and you help fund, and you donate things to over and over again, and always go above and beyond what we expect in order to meet the physical needs of people. And that is a wonderful thing that we ought to keep doing. But that's not what I'm talking about this morning when I talk about a passion for people. I'm talking about a passion for their spiritual lives, being burdened and broken over the lost souls that are around us, leading us to pray for them and seek to lead them to Christ. Every once in a while, we'll talk about evangelism, and when we do, we all feel guilty because we know that we don't measure up in this area. We know that we don't share the gospel as we ought to. We know that we don't seek those opportunities like we know we should. And so we tend to make excuses. I don't know what to say. I don't have the time. I don't really know anybody who's lost. All my friends are believers. But the ultimate reason that we don't share the gospel as we ought to is because we don't have a passion for the people around us that we ought to have. That's got to be the ultimate answer. Because if we have a passion for them, we will share with them. When Tracy and I were in Central Asia this past summer visiting three of our church members who serve there, there was one thing that both encouraged and convicted me at the same time. Everywhere we went, these three folks who come out of this church and serve on the field, everywhere we went, they were very intentional about striking up a conversation with the people they met and trying to steer that conversation to spiritual things. Now, we did not hold an evangelism rally, though there's nothing wrong with that. We simply went about our daily lives, and they were very intentional about striving to make conversation with people so that they could ultimately talk to them about God. And the reason they did that is because they had a passion for the people among whom they serve. That's why they're there. They have a passion for the people in that place, and that passion leads them to want to share. And there is no reason other than a lack of passion that we can't do the same thing in our part of the world. There are people around here that we come in contact with who need to be saved and thus they need to hear. Now granted, we might conclude that they probably have heard before, but maybe not correctly and maybe not completely, and they certainly haven't responded and so they need to hear again. And so when I say we need to have a passion for people, I'm asking you, will you pray this year that God will burden your heart, not only for Christians who need to grow in their relationship with Christ, including you, that's what we often call discipleship, but also you would pray that God would burden your heart for those who do not know him, something we often call evangelism, so that God would then use you to share the gospel with them. And that leads to my final point. It is a passion for prayer. Our time is running short. I was going to read Luke chapter 18. It's the parable of the persistent widow. 
where Jesus says we ought to always pray and not lose heart. And he tells this story about the widow who, who is told to continue to, to pray. It's a parable, and so she goes to this judge seeking justice, and initially the judge just doesn't want to do anything for her, but because of her persistence, ultimately the judge answers. And the point is not that we bother God to death in prayer, but the point is persistence, that God has called on us to pray, and we are to do so consistently. Praying is not getting God to do what we want to do. Praying is spending time in intimate fellowship with God. And you won't make progress, and you won't have purity, and you won't care about people unless there is also a passion for prayer. Jesus certainly spent a large part of his limited ministry, limited meaning in time on this earth, in prayer. He modeled prayer for us. He commanded that we pray. Over and over again in Scripture, we see it, including the parables that I've just mentioned one of. And so there are all kinds of examples for us to remain persistent in prayer. The biblical evidence for our prayers is not lacking, even if our passion might be. Sometimes we say, well, I don't under, understand prayer. I don't, I don't get how it works. I don't totally either. But I know we're commanded to do it. And I know we need to do it. And I know that apart from prayer, we're not going to accomplish the things that we want to accomplish. Jesus himself said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And yet we don't really believe that because we operate as if we can do just about everything such that we sometimes say, well, if there's nothing else I can do, I can at least pray for you as if that's a minor thing. We need to be passionate about our prayer lives, not in such a hurry to get up and be involved in something, but in a hurry to get on our knees and spend time with God praying to him. The Bible says if we lack wisdom, we can ask of God and he will give to us generously. It doesn't specifically say the same thing about passion, but I'm convinced that the application is there. That if we lack passion in these four areas, we can ask God. And since it is his will, I think he will answer this prayer. But to ask for something like this means that we first have to admit that we lack it. And so even as we start off a new year, you might have to be willing to admit that you've grown just a little bit apathetic. You've grown just a little bit indifferent. You're not as enthusiastic about the things of God like you once were. And so you need to confess that to God. You don't have to confess it to me, but you can confess it to God and say, God, I, I'm drifting a little bit spiritually, and I, I've recognized that this morning. And that's not the direction I want my life to take this year. I want to instead have a passionate commitment for you. Because I want to make progress in my relationship with you. I want to grow in my fellowship with you. I want to have passion for purity in life. Get, a, get away from these sins that have been bogging me down. And have a passion for purity. I want to have a, a passion for people. And I want to have a passion for prayer. That's my desire this year. And I'm asking you, will you make that your desire as well? Will you put that on top of your resolution list? Because it takes priority over all those other things. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you would give us, as your people, as your church, passion this year.
passion for you above all else. As the deer pants after the water brook, so pants my soul after thee, O God. Give us a hunger and thirst for you, such that we are willing to set aside the things of this world because we desire above all else to pursue you. Give us a passion for purity in our lives so that we can set aside the pleasures of sin for a season and instead live faithfully for you. Give us a passion for people. God, break our hearts for those around us who do not know you and for those within our body who have grown indifferent towards you. And then give us a passion for prayer. Help this to be the year that we are a praying people because we know apart from you, we can do nothing. But with you, all things are possible. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing and you respond.